Boy, I'm glad it's real. Amen. Amen. I've experienced it in the laboratory of my own heart, and I know it's real. Amen. God is good. Thank the Lord for that. How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? I want to encourage you, every time you come to church, bring your Bible with you. You know, the Bible said that we are to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. And one way to prove it is to be sure it's in the book. Amen? And uh, so bring your Bible with you when you come to church. And let's open our Bibles tonight, if you will, to page number 321. If you have an old Schofield Bible, 321, or the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 2 in the Old Testament tonight. And I want to just read two verses. And then I want to ask you to leave your Bibles open here for a moment and just follow me through this as we work our way through some verses uh, this evening. All right, 1 Samuel chapter number 2, page 321, and uh, locate that and then just leave your Bibles there for a moment. Don't forget Sunday. Sunday's Father's Day. And boy, it's hard to believe out of nowhere it's Father's Day. And it seemed like a couple of days this week we were back in March again with the weather, and I, had to, I was, one day I wore a short sleeve shirt, and it was really cold, and I thought, my goodness, what happened to summer? And, uh, but anyway, Sunday is Father's Day, and we have a special gift for all the fathers that are in attendance in our services Sunday morning, both those services. And let me say this, in case you don't know, and we have folks who are visiting with us, you say, I don't know, section 1 and 2, 8.30, section 3 and 4, 10 o'clock, when do I come? Come whenever you want to come. All right? And uh, we don't care. Just show up. As long as you come, come. All right? And one of my favorite words in the Bible is come. And uh, so we invite you to come and be a part whether you come at 8.30, whether you come at 10 o'clock. If you don't know, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're new here, and I, you don't know what the sections, what all that means. So don't worry about it. Just show up when you want to, and we sure would love to have you in our service this coming Sunday, Father's Day, all right? Let's read now First Samuel chapter number 2. I want to read verse 11 and verse number 12, all right? Verse 11 and verse number 12, and then please leave your Bibles open to these verses. Look at verse 11. And Elka Elkanah, you may remember, that's Samuel's dad. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house. That's where they lived at. So he's leaving Shiloh and he's got back to his house. But they left Samuel there at the house of God in Shiloh, verse 11. And the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Now jump to verse number 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. That means the word Belial is, is an Old Testament word for the devil. We could actually read it like this. Uh, the sons of Eli were sons of the devil. Or we could read it like this. The name Belial means worthless. It means wasted. And we could read it like this. Now the sons of Eli were sons of waste. Uh, they were worthless. And the Bible said they knew not the Lord. Now leave your Bibles open tonight and let's try to get to the bottom of all this and then see what God has for us in this text tonight. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. Thank you that it's real. Lord, I'm so glad there's a book. My name's there, and I know it's real. Amen. Thank you for making a difference in my life, and uh, Lord, for the lives of so many others that uh, are sitting here in this auditorium watching on live stream or listening by radio. I'm glad that you can change people's lives. And the greatest evidence that gives us the assurance that you are real is the difference that you made in our lives. Help us now as we look at the Word of God together. I pray that you might speak to our hearts. Give us something from the Bible tonight that will help us, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you may recall that we're on a journey. We're on a journey through the life of one of Israel's greatest but most often looked leaders, a man by the name of Samuel. Although Samuel was a judge and he wasn't a king like David, uh, Samuel was nevertheless a leader, a, a, a ruler in the nation of Israel, a godly leader who led the people of God during very, during very dark and turbulent days. For the last four weeks, as we have been considering uh, his story, we've actually been considering Samuel's story before there was a Samuel. We've been looking much back in chapter 1 in the beginning part of chapter 2 at the life of a woman who would eventually go on to be the mother of Samuel. Her name was Hannah. But as we saw last time, God has answered Hannah's prayer. God has given her a Samuel. The name Samuel means the Lord hath heard. The Lord hath answered. God gave her a Samuel. And she promised the Lord that if you will give me a man-child, I'm going to give him back to you. Remember that? Back in chapter 1 and verse number 11. And then we saw last week that Hannah has now carried Samuel up to the house of the Lord and left him there because she was fulfilling a promise that she had made to the Lord. Have you ever made a promise to the Lord and then didn't keep it? Have you, ever, have you ever told the Lord, Lord, if you'll take care of this for me, I'm going to do this for you, and then you broke your promise? Well, the Bible said over in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5 and verse 5, the Bible said, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. But aren't you glad God is a God who keeps his promises? He is a faithful and a just God, and He always will, in every case, every situation, God will always keep His Word to us. But us, on the other hand, sometimes we make a vow or a promise to God, and we won't keep our promise back to the Lord. Well, Hannah kept her promise. Boy, how commendable is that to see somebody make God a promise and then fulfill that promise. She's now dropped Samuel off at the house of of the Lord. So really tonight, for the very first time, we commence Samuel's side uh, of the story. And as we meet Samuel in our text tonight, for the very first time, we find that he is already a young man who is working for the Lord. In fact, I couldn't help but notice this in chapter 2, five different times, four of them in chapter 2, one of them in chapter 3, Samuel is called a child. Look, if you will, at verse number 11, the Bible said, And the child did minister unto the Lord. If you'll drop down to verse number 18, the Bible said that Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child. In verse number 21, the Bible said, And the child, Samuel, grew before the Lord. The Bible said in verse 26, And the child, Samuel, grew on. And then if you'll look over in chapter 3, in verse number 1, once again, Samuel is called a child. You know, most people think, as of our text tonight, here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, most people believe that Samuel is now around the age of four or five years old. Over in chapter 3, when God begins to call Samuel, and we'll notice that probably in the coming weeks, as God begins to call Samuel, most people think 
Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, said that Samuel was around 10 or 11 years old when the Lord began to call him. But in our text tonight, even at this very young age in his life, four or five years old, he is already busy serving the Lord. Now, can I just stop and say, boy, that speaks volumes about what Hannah had put in this boy while she had him as she was nursing him before she dropped him off at the house of God. Boy, I want to tell you something. Samuel had already instilled in him by a mama that loved God that it's important to serve the Lord. But you know, as we read this, he ministered before the Lord. As we read that, it reminds us that one doesn't have to be old to be involved in the service of of the Lord. Aren't you glad that children can serve the Lord? Aren't you glad children can be used of the Lord? Aren't you glad that God can take the life of just a very young person and God can use that life, God can use that person to get glory and honor to himself? Four or five years old and he's already in the house of God serving the Lord. By the way, what a plug that is for the bus ministry. You know, a lot of people may say, why do y'all run them buses? Why do you put up with all that, right? all that hassle? Why do, you, why do you go through all that? Because we understand that God can use little children. You know, children are candidates for salvation. And then after they get saved, they become candidates for service. And God can use that little child to go back into that home that's very dark, very, very, uh, very ungodly. And God can use the testimony and the influence of that little child to win that whole family to the Lord Jesus. That's right, Samuel's just a young boy, but he's already busy in service for the Lord. You know, one of the greatest revivals that we find in our Old Testament was under a king by the name of Josiah. And Josiah is known as the boy king. You know, Josiah was only eight years old when he began to reign over the tribe or over the, uh, the empire of Judah. But at a very young and a tender age, God used that young boy. God used him in a great revival and a great mighty way and a revival broke out under his youthful leadership. There's what the Bible said about Josiah. Now remember, eight years old, here's what the Bible said about him over in 2 Kings 23, 25. And like unto him, like unto Josiah, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. I'm talking about eight years old, and here's what God said about him. That boy has done more for this nation than all the other kings put together. He has sought the Lord with his whole heart. Hey, can I just stop and say, never underestimate what God can do with the life of just a young child. Hey, we're wrong in our concept if we think God cannot use a young child. Samuel here in our text, four or five years old, and he surrendered his life to the Lord, and God is using him in a mighty way to make a difference for the Lord. So what I want to do tonight, if you'll join me in this text, I want to talk a little bit. I would say the word service, but I'm going to use that in a point. So I want to talk a little bit about the performance. And you understand I'm using that in a right way. You know, some people at church, they perform for the Lord. 
you know, in a, in a kind of a entertainment kind of a way. I'm not at all interested in that. Are you? I'm interested in people who want to serve God and get up and just give God the glory. But I'm going to use that word performance to talk a little bit about his life as we, as we turn the page and open the story of this young man by the name of Samuel. So first of all tonight, I want to talk a little bit about the service, the service of his performance. Now, we read in our text tonight, bear with me for a moment, but we read in this text uh, no less than three times that Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Verse 11, verse 18, chapter 3, verse 1, Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now I get it at the age of four or five years old. I get it. He couldn't do anything, you know, very strenuous in the house of God. I mean, he's just for, I'm not talking about he is offering bullocks and, and uh, applying the blood and, and uh, you know, lighting incense candles. I, I don't think he did any of that at this very young and, and tender age. But I do think whatever he did in the house of God, he did it before the Lord, unto the Lord, before Eli. Now, I don't know what all he did while there in the house of God at that young and tender age. Maybe, maybe he grabbed a broom and slept, swept the floors. Maybe, maybe he carried out the trash. Maybe, maybe he went and got a cup of water for Eli, the high priest. I don't know what all he did at that young and tender age. All we're told is he ministered unto the Lord before Eli. He was busy serving in the house of God. Now, I do know one thing that he was in charge of. Look over in chapter 3 at a very young and a tender age. Here was one of the responsibilities of Samuel in the house of the Lord. And look at verse number 15. Here's what we're told, at least one job that he had at a very young and tender age. Look at verse 15. And Samuel lay until the morning, and then the Bible said this, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. So it seems apparent to me that one of the responsibilities that Samuel had as just a young child, he had the responsibility of opening up the house of God, opening the doors to God's house so that other people could come in and worship the Lord. Now I know maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, preacher, I mean... You know, we're glad for Samuel, but, I mean, what's the big deal about all of that? Well, can I tell you this? I remember years ago hearing Brother Zeno preach a message one night, and he was talking about that message about how that our little bit is much in the sight of the Lord. And to prove a point of his message that night, he started talking about a man in our church. Of course, he's no longer with us. He's in heaven. But Brother Zeno began to talk about a man by the name of Troy Parrish. Now, for you older folks, you know who Brother Troy was. He was the former custodian of our church. And anybody that knows Brother Troy Parrish knew that you could hear him before you ever saw him. You know why? He had a big old ring of keys on his side. You got to remember down at that old property, there was not one door, one key like around here. Some of us got one key and it'll unlock every door in this building. But down there, every door had a different key. I mean, man, we had a one, number one, a number two, a number three. Uh, we had a number 50, a number 56, a number 50. I mean, every door had a different key. And Brother Troy, through all those years of being the custodian of that church, one thing that he had down is he knew the number of every key that fit every lock in that entire building. You could, you could hear him because he jingled. He was like Mr. McVeevee. 
on Andy Griffith. You know, you could hear him before you ever, you ever saw him. And every time you needed the door open, all you had to do was call Brother Troy Parrish. But here's what Brother Zeno said about him that night. Now you think probably big deal. So he opened doors, shut the building up, turned the lights off. Big deal about that. But I remember what Brother Zeno said in that message that night. Here's what he said. Of all the people who had ever been saved at Woodland Baptist Church, none of them could have been saved had it not been for Troy Parrish. You know why? He opened up the doors every service for people to come in to the house of God. Brother Zeno said the choir may have sung. Brother Zeno said other people may have prayed. Brother Zeno said I may have preached, but not one person could have ever been saved in our church had it not been for Troy Parish opening the doors so that people could get inside of the house of God. Hey, can I stop and say thank God for folks who do the small task. Thank God for the people in the church who maybe do the things that maybe doesn't really stick out in your mind this much, but buddy, I'll tell you what, God rewards people no matter how large of a task they may have, a responsibility they may have, or matter how, no matter how small the responsibility may be. I'm just here to tell you, friend, when you do it unto the Lord, you mark her down. God is going to keep a record of that. Amen. There is a record book. Hey, God's keeping a record of all that, and someday, if God's going to reward us for just giving a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple. If God's going to reward us for something as small as that, you better know you may watch the nursery. You may work in a children's church out of sight, unseen. But I'm here to tell you, there's a God in heaven who's keeping a record book. And no matter how small it may be, there'll come a day when God will reward you for that. Oh, I want to say tonight, keep on working for the Lord. The service, the service of his performance. I don't know what all he did, but I know one thing he did. He opened up the doors of the house of God so people could get in there to worship the Lord. Thank God for folks who will just do what they can for God's glory. And God will in no wise overlook that. God is not unrighteous, so says the Bible, to forget our labor of love, our work of righteousness, our labor of love. Hey, I want to tell you, God is keeping a record. The service of his performance. But I want to talk number two, looking in at our text, I want to talk number two about the support, the support of his performance. Now, you can't miss this because we run into his mama again. Now, I told you we were going to run into her along the way, in, in a, now a much smaller way, but look at verse 19, and here's what the Bible said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible said, moreover, his mother, there she is again, bless her heart. Here's Hannah, the woman that gave him birth. Here's Hannah, the woman that taught him to worship God. Here's Hannah, the woman that promised she'd give him back to the Lord. Here's his mom again, and according to verse number 19, that she made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. You know what that tells me a little bit? His mama supported him in the work of the Lord. His mama helped him along in the work of God. By the way, I can just see how happy she is every time it comes time to go to the house of God because she knows she's going to get to see her boy that she dropped off up there 
a while back. You can just imagine how excited she was, how happy. She probably didn't even sleep two or three days before it was time to go to the house of God because she was going to be uh, get to see that little boy. She's going to meet with the Lord. She was going to meet with the God who answered her prayer and gave her that boy. But she was going to get to see that boy once again, at least one time a year. But the Bible said she didn't go up there empty handed. No, sir. She took him a little coat every year that she made. She labored over that. You know what she's doing? She's helping him him as he serves the Lord. I mean, she's aiding him along as he ministers for the Lord and to the Lord. And we're just reminded in this, people who labor for the Lord and to the Lord, they need a little support along the way. Yes, sir, year after year. Every year when she brought him that little coat, she was just aiding him in the service of the Lord. You know, everybody needs a little support once in a while, especially those who labor for the Lord. I thank God for all the missionaries that our church supports. Thank God for you, and, and I try to, but we give to the Lord's work here so that people that God has called, appointed, and anointed to go to different places to preach the Word of God, you know what they need? They need a little aid along the way. They need a little support along the way. And as you and I give to the Lord, guess what we're doing? We're supporting those. We're aiding those who are laboring for the Lord. You say, preacher, that's such a small thing. I mean, bringing a coat. I mean, what's the big deal about that? Well, it must have been a pretty big deal. You know why? The Holy Ghost wrote it in the Bible. Amen. Must have been a pretty big deal to God. I mean, even though she was just making a coat, she'd spent many hours laboring and the tears and the labor that went into that coat. And yet the Bible said God wrote it down for us. And I want to say again, no matter how small the task, no matter how small the offering, there's a God that's keeping a record of what we do for Him. The support of His performance. But then I want you to look again now. Let me talk. I'm talking about Samuel now. Not only, not only are we considering the support of his performance and the service of his performance, but I want you to see the success of his performance. Now look, if you will, at verse 26, and here's what we read about Samuel. And the child Samuel grew on. He's growing up now. And then the Bible said this, and he was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. I like that. He was in favor of the Lord. That word, a favor, means approval. We could actually read it like this. Oh, Samuel was in approval. He had the Lord's approval and also the approval of man. And by the way, notice the sequence of that. First and foremost... It was the approval of the Lord, the favor of the Lord, and then came the favor of man. You know, it always ought to be in that order. We should always, first of all, seek to gain the approval of heaven, of God. It always ought to be like that. And by the way, many times, just to be honest with you, if we gain the favor of God, we do so at the cost of losing the favor of man. Am I right? I mean, anybody that wants to please the Lord, many times as we please the Lord, we displease those who are around us. But in Samuel's case, we're told that God was smiling his approval down. God was smiling his favor upon Samuel's life. 
And as Samuel grew up, the Bible said that not only did God put his approval upon Samuel, but he also gained the favor of man. And by the way, I think the indication there, the implication of that is he gained the favor of the right kind of man. You know, too many of us are more interested in gaining the favor of the wrong kind of man. We should always seek to gain God's favor with our actions and our lives, God's approval, and then we'll just let man fall out where they will. But the Bible said that Samuel was a success as he labored for the Lord. So we've talked now, we've talked about his success, and we've talked about his support, and we've talked about his service but I'm going to talk number three, and now join me. Here's where we're going to get into the meat of this. I'm going to talk a little bit about the superiority of his performance. I mean, when you look at this story, I mean, in reality, what we've got here is the tale of two families. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we got the family of Elkanah, Hannah, and Samuel. And then on the other side, we got the family of Eli, his two boys, Hophni and Phinehas. So we've got really the tale of two families. And in reality, as we look at these two families, we find out that we've got two, fa two families that are going in opposite directions. I mean, we've got the family of the preacher and the preacher's kids, and then we've got the family of a man by the name of Elkanah's wife and Samuel, but I want to tell you something. Samuel, by his performance, is far superior to those who are many, many, many years older than he. In fact, if you'll look in this text, we're told several things about Eli's boys, Hophni and Phinehas. Look what we're told about them. First of all, in verse number 12, we are told that they are infamous. They're infamous. While the Bible said they were sons of Belial. I mean, the boys didn't at all resemble God. They resembled more of the devil than they resembled God. You know, isn't it sad when children that are brought up in the house of God and they go out and they live lives that resemble more of the, the, the devil than they do of the Lord Jesus? Isn't that sad? But the Bible said they were infamous because they were sons of Belial. Then we find in verse number 12 that they were not only infamous, we find that they were ignorant. Look again at verse 12. The Bible said they knew not the Lord. Now wait a minute. Here are boys that have been brought up in the house of God. Miss Marcy's testimony just a moment ago. Brought up in the house of God. Brought up around the things of God. No doubt they heard their daddy Eli preach. He was the most sought after preacher, evangelist on the evangelistic circle in his day. He was the high priest in Shiloh. I mean, boy, he was somebody heading somewhere. But his boys, the Bible said, they knew not the Lord. They may have known about him, but they didn't know him. You know, the one thing that bothers me is that there's a lot of people that no doubt sit in our churches that they know about the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. Hey, can I tell you something about Jesus? Knowing Jesus is more than facts in your head. It takes some faith down in your heart. Too many people have got a head knowledge 
and they don't have a heart knowledge. Too many people, they're going to miss heaven by about 18 inches, the difference between what they've got here and what they've got right here. You hear me? You don't come to Jesus head first. You come to Jesus heart first. And the trouble with a lot of people is they know about him. They know all about him. They can quote statistics about him. They can quote the books of the Bible. But the problem is they've never, ever accepted him as their Lord and as their Savior. They were infamous. They were ignorant. Even though they labored in the house of God, even though their daddy was a preacher. Can I tell you something? I mean this with all of my heart. I have two of my children here tonight, but I mean this with all of my heart. If my children, if they ever walk down one of these aisles and get saved or in some other church and they get saved, can I tell you something? I am not one bit going to be ashamed or embarrassed by that because as she said a moment ago just because you're a preacher's child don't mean you're going to go to heaven just because you're a deacon's child don't mean you're going to heaven just because your mama teaches Sunday school or uh, sings in the choir or your daddy does this or that doesn't mean you're going to heaven there's a lot of people that, that labor work around the house of God the only problem is they don't know the Lord and if you'll excuse my English, it's not going to do them a hill of beans worth of good in the day of judgment. In fact, can I tell you this? The more knowledge they have, the more trouble they're going to be in. The more light that they've received, the more light that they've rejected, the more opportunity that they've had, and the more rejection, the more, uh, the more the times they put the Lord off, the Bible seems to indicate those kind of people are going to be in much, much more greater trouble and in greater punishment and torment than those who've never had the opportunity. They were, they were infamous. They were ignorant. But look at verse 16. They were intimidating. Look what happened in verse 16. The Bible said that when people came to, to bring their uh, offerings to the Lord, they're bringing their, now listen to this, they're bringing their offerings to the Lord. And as they brought them to the Lord, these boys would intercept them, interrupt them. And in verse number 16, the Bible said this, If any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not... I'll take it by force. You'll give me what I want, and if you think you're going to offer that to the Lord, I just want to tell you, I'm going to take it away from you. Isn't that pitiful? Eli's sons, people coming to worship, worship God. It'd be like somebody in our church coming in here Sunday morning, and they've got their offering ready, and somebody comes up to them and says, Look, give me half of that. Well, I, no, no, this, this goes to the Lord. I'm giving this to the Lord. And you say, Either you give it to me, or I'm going to take it from you. Now, I'm going to probably say, meet me out back and we'll just see if you're going to take it or not. You might take it, but you're going to have to whoop me to take it because this belongs to the Lord. But they were intimidating others. And then if all that isn't bad enough, they were not only infamous and ignorant and intimidating, they were irreverent. Look down at verse 17. The Bible said, Wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. I mean, these boys were so bad that people started dreading going to the house of God to worship the Lord. In fact, the Bible said it got so bad in verse 17 that men actually abhorred. Can I say this? They hated going to church because of the preacher's boys. 
I mean, they were irreverent. Look at verse 22. They were immoral. Look at what happened in verse 22. Now, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. And then notice this, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. These boys were so wicked, so ungodly, that the ladies who worked around the house of God, these boys tried to, tried to take off with them. These boys tried to be, have an immoral relationship with the ladies that worked right around the house of God. In fact, the implication is that verse number 22, they were actually committing immorality in the very doors of the house of God. What's that old saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, a lot of people, they're so familiar with holy things that they lose their respect for holy things. Oh, brother, you and I better be careful about that. Don't ever get to the place that you lose your respect, your awe, your reverence of holy things just because you're around them all the time. They were immoral. Then look at verse 24. They were infectious. Look at verse 24. The Bible said this, Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Then notice what the Bible said. These boys were making the Lord's people to transgress. I mean, listen to me. I mean, these boys, by their actions, they were leading others into sin. Now, all of that is the family of Eli. I mean, a church family, for crying out loud. Boys that had been brought up in the house of God. Uh, uh, all this going on in their lives, going on right there in the house of God. I think you agree with me when I say this. The house of God is a holy place. It's not a place where we just flippantly drag in. And it's not a place that we just come to flippantly just go to church. I mean, buddy, we ought, to, we ought to realize when we walk into this place, and I know it's not the building, I get all that, but in a sense, this building's been dedicated for God's glory. We ought to treat this place like it is, a holy place. Man, don't write on the walls. Don't put your gum on the seats. Man, don't, don't stop up the commodes. This is the house of God, man. Let's treat this place like the holy place that it is. And yet these boys, I mean, man, they were wicked boys. But then watch this. Samuel, at such a tender age, was everything those boys weren't. I mean, you stop and think about it. Samuel was none of that. I mean, here these boys were with all this wickedness and ungodliness going on there. Here's one little four- or five-year-old boy that's been brought up by a godly mama that's been given to the Lord, that's been taught how to worship and how to treat the house of God. And everything that they were, Samuel was not. Now, I'm done, but i got to make two concluding points to this. Samuel proves two things at a tender age to people just like you and me. And this is where we come in at. Number one, we learn from this text, number one, that Samuel, Samuel shows us that you can serve God in a bad environment. You can serve God. I mean, with all that wickedness going on to the house of God, Samuel still ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Listen, he didn't get caught up in all that garbage that was going on. He refused to be a part of that. 
I mean, he says to you and me, you can make it. He says to us, you can serve God. I know you may be in an ungodly environment where you work at. I mean, it may be God's name in vain, dirty jokes, filth, ungodliness. I get all that. But Samuel said, hey, you can still serve God in a place like that. Hey, you can still be a bright light in a dark place. You don't have to buy into their sins. You can still go and live for God, have a good testimony, and serve God. You can still do it, even though it's a bad environment. How many of y'all work in a bad environment? I tell you, y'all to work around the people I work around. I'm kidding about that. I'm, I'm only kidding about that. But I know some of you do. That office setting, all that flirtation, all that running around with each other, all that drinking, all that off-hours philandering. I get all that. That's a bad place. But Samuel said, hey, you can serve God anyway. Hey, you don't have to buy into that mess. Hey, you can still live for God in spite of all that's going on in that environment. You can go on and serve God anyway. And then number two, he tells us this. Samuel says you can serve God even if you're outnumbered. I mean, he's outnumbered here, man. I mean, let's face it. Really, Eli, Eli's buying into their garbage because he won't correct them for it. He's letting it go. He's sweeping it under the rug. Them two boys is ungodly. Samuel is outnumbered three to one. But Samuel says, you can go ahead and live for God even if you're outnumbered. Now, let's face it. There are more lost people in this world than there are saved people. Amen. Jesus said the gate that leads to destruction, the way, is a broad path, a broad and a beaten and a wide gate, and there's many there be which are going in thereat. Then he said this about heaven, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few. I think if we interpret what Jesus is saying, there's a whole lot more going to hell than there are going to heaven. There's almost 8 billion people in this world, and sad, but so true, more people in this world are going to hell than there are going to heaven, if what Jesus said is true, and it is. I know you're outnumbered on your job. There are more cussers than there are shouters. Hey, there's more drinkers than there are worshipers. Hey, there's more atheists. There's more Bible deniers than there are Bible believers. I get it. You're outnumbered. But Samuel said, hey, don't, don't let that bother you. Hey, you might be outnumbered, but that's okay. You can go on and serve God anyway. So here's a young man, uh, uh, three, four, five years old, however old he is, and yet he's made up his mind that he's going to walk with God in spite of the fact that he's in a very bad environment. Right there in the house of God. Boy, if you would think there was any place in the world that's a good environment, you would think it would be there in the house of God. And yet when we read what we read about these boys, I mean, buddy, it was terrible to be there in the house of God. Can I have, I mean, it, do you get that? Or is that just me? Am I blowing this out of proportion or what? I mean, it's terrible there. But old Samuel went ahead in that very bad, wicked environment. Hey, that college you're going to, that school that you're in, that neighborhood you live in, hey, can I tell you something? I know it's a bad place, but can I tell you something? You can live for God there. You don't have to buy into that. And I get it. We're outnumbered. I understand all that. But can I tell you something? That shouldn't stop me and you from living for God. Somebody once said this, and I'm done. If you don't stand alone, you won't stand for long. You know what? We just got to stand for God. And many times, we're all by ourselves. But if you don't stand alone, you won't stand 
before long. So let's just be like Samuel. Let's make up our mind that in spite of all that's going on around us, we're going to go on and serve the Lord and please Him. Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.